Peter Hill Explains, where I invite you to join the science teaching conversation with me about... This is a continuation podcast about Mercury, as I've still been doing a few activities. I've not kept up the podcasting regime. I've been involved in uh, research grants and supporting for the local historical society, visiting a few old people, doing a bit of COVID research and support of just general people in general um, and the sort of the origin of this is um, just looking up um, looking at the time about what the sun would like look like going around mercury and uh, the theory would be that uh, uh, the sun initially the idea is the sun's the same position in the sky and so you could actually if it's the same position as the sky the sky, you can pick a, a latitude such that it's always 2.30. For instance, I was really interesting, interested at looking at how often 2.30 occurred on different planets. In, in Venus, it would be several years between you got to, from 2.30 to 2.30 because of this, its rate of rotation is such that it sort of unwinds the rotation of the sun. So the sun is moving more slowly in the sky because it's actually... Um, it's actually, if it was stationary in the sky, the, the sort of Venus didn't have an axis of rotation. It didn't rotate at all, and space just went round. It would be once, uh, once, once a year. But it's actually even longer than that because it's counter rotating. So it's, it's you know, the, the sun isn't making its way up. It's, uh, so, so that's very interesting about Venus and uh, Mercury, I thought it would be forever because it's, um, uh, I had thought it was a one-to-one spin-orbit resonance, but it's three to two or two to three spin-orbit resonance, which means that it actually takes each um, year, takes each day takes two years. So it's sort of like this is pretty interesting in that there's two, two years in a, Two years in a day, and so you really get New Year's Day twice a year at midday and mu- and I suppose midnight. I suppose would be the uh, uh, the story, but it's a little bit more complicated than that. Or you know what 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 is actually um, a, a New Year's Day, um, and so what actually happens is because uh, Mercury is spinning and it comes close to the sun. And it's spinning is stuff, it actually, the sun appears to stop in the sky. In some instances it tends to wander back and then forward again. So this is, this is with the Mercury elliptical orbit and the 3-2 spin, spin resonance. So that's the quintessential interesting aspect of it. So um, uh, what uh, happens is that uh, you do... Um, one orbit, and uh, it's it's midday in one year. It takes another year to go around, and uh, Mercury has actually rotated by that time, such so it's midnight in the next year. Then it takes another complete orbit for, to get to midday again um, in that that period. Now we're we're going through um, looking at the Islamic astronomers. I'll just read this here at this point. In medieval Islamic astronomy, the Andalusian astronomer Abdul Ishwar Ibrahim 
Zakwahi in the 11th century described the difference of Mercury geocentric orbit as being oval, like an egg or a pigeon, P-I-G-N-O-N, although this insight did not influence his astronomical theory or his astronomical calculations. So, it's still, it's still in they thought that Mercury was orbiting the Earth, but it was, well, I don't know what, what they thought about it. You know, it, would, it would appear to go around, but you, you'd have this sort of fairly high complexity. Um, um, Ibn Jabaja observed two planets as black spots on the face of the Sun, which was later suggested to be the transit of Mercury and or Venus. Uh, by Barca, astronomy of Qatab al-Din Shiran's of the 13th century. Note that uh, most such medieval reports of transits were later taken as observation of sunspots. In India, the Karal astronomer Nil Akka Natha Somayi in the 15th century developed a particularly heliocentric planetary model in which Mercury orbits the Sun, which in turn orbits the Earth, similar to the Tachonia system proposed by Tycho Bray in, later in the 16th century. So people, it's beginning to fall apart at different points. Ground-based telescopic research. The first telescopic observation of Mercury were made by Galileo in the early 16th, sorry, 17th century. So that's 1604. Would it be correct? I, I, I suppose, yeah. His telescope was not powerful enough to see the phases of Mercury. He looked at the phases of Venus, though, it says here. Uh, in 1631, Perry Gassendi made the first telescopic observation of the transit of the planet across the Sun, when he saw the transit of Mercury predicted by Johannes Kepler. In 1639, Giovanni Zuppi used a telescope to discover that the planet had orbital phases similar to the Venus and Moon. The observation demonstrated conclusively that Mercury orbited around the Sun. So, 39, uh, Galileo is still in um, house arrest, but there's a schoolbook version of interpretation of history. Which goes there. I really wish I kept some articles about that. The rare event in astronomy is the passage of one planet in front of another occultation, as seen from Earth. Mercury and Venus occult once every few centuries. The event uh, of the 28th of May, 1737, is the only one historically observed, having been seen by John Bevis at the Royal Greenwich Observatory. The next occultation of Mercury is by Venus, will not be till December the 3rd, 2133. Well, my heart will still be going by then, but the rest of me will be fucked. The difference inherent in observing Mercury means that it's far less studied than the other planets. In 1800, Johannes Schotter made observations on the surface features claiming to have observed 20 kilometer high mountains. Friedrich Bissell used Schotter's drawings to erroneously estimate the rotation period as 24 hours, and the, the axial tilt at 70 degrees. In the 1880s, Giovanni Schiapelli mapped the planet more accurately and suggested the Mercury rotation period was about 88 days, the same as the orbital period due to tidal locking. It turned out not to be treated. 
The phenomenon is known as synchronous rotation. The effort to map the surface of Mercury was continued by Eugenios Antonadi, who published a book in 1934 that included both maps and his own. It's an amazing observation. Many of the planet's surface features, particularly the albedo features, take their names from uh, Antony's map. Oh, well, there you go. In June 1962, the Soviet scientist at the Institute of Radio Engineering and Electronics in the USSR Academy of Sciences, led by uh, Vladimir Kolnetitov, uh, became the first to bounce radar signals off Mercury and receive it, um, starting radar observations of the planet. Three years later, radar observations by the Americans Gordon H. Pettigill and Rolf B. Dice using the 300-meter Acebo Observatory in Puerto Rico showed conclusively that the planet's rotation period was about 59 days. Rotational period. Okay, so it rotated every 59 days, which is two-thirds of its orbit. So you get two orbits for it to rotate three times. The theory that Mercury's rotation was synchronous had become wildly held, and it was a surprise to the astronomers when the radio observations were announced. If Mercury had tidal lock, the dark face would be extremely cold, but measurements of the radio emission revealed that it was much hotter than expected. Astronomers were reluctant to drop the synchronous rotation theory and proposed an alternative mechanisms such as powerful heat-distributing winds to explain the observations. There you go. So that's... You can imagine that a hot surface doesn't reflect radio waves as well. I don't know why that would be so, but let's see. Italian astronomy Giuseppe Colombo noted that the rotation value was about two-thirds of Mercury orbital period, and proposed the planet's orbital rotation periods were locked in three to two rather than one to one in Data from Mara 10 subsequently confirmed this view. Um, and this means that Chappelle's and Antonis maps were not wrong. Instead, the astronomers saw the same features during every second orbit and repeated them, but disregarded those seen in the meantime. When um, Mercury's other face was towards the Sun, um, because orbital geometry meant that these observations were made in poor viewing conditions. Ground-based optical observations did not shed much further light on Mercury, but radio astronomers using interferometry and microwave wavelengths, a technique that enables removal of solar radiation, uh, were able to discern physical and chemical characteristics of surface sublayers to the depth of several metres. Not until the first space probe flew by Mercury did many of its most fundamental morphological properties become known. Moreover, recent technical advances have led to improved ground-based observations. In 2000, high-resolution lucky imaging observations were conducted at Mount Wilson's observatory with the 1.5 Hale telescope. They provided the first views that resolved surface features of parts of Mercury that were not imaged by the Mariner 10 image. Most of the planet had been mapped um, by the Archebo radio telescope. Uh, with 5-kilometre resolution, including polar deposits um, in shadow craters and what uh, may be water and ice. Research with space probes. Reaching Mercury from Earth poses significant technical challenges because its orbits so much closer to the Sun than Earth. A Mercury-bound spacecraft launched from Earth must travel over 91 million kilometres, so we're 150 million 
so that that makes sense. So it's it's further than Mars, I suppose, and further than uh, Venus, obviously. A Mercury-bound spacecraft, um, sorry, into the Sun's gravitational potential. Well, Mercury has an orbital speed of 48 kilometers per second, whereas Earth's orbital speed is 30 kilometers per second. Therefore, the spacecraft must change its orbital velocity, delta V, uh, to enter the Hollman transfer orbit as it passes near Mercury, as compared to a delta V required for other planetary motions, missions. The potential energy liberated by moving down the Sun's potential well becomes kinetic energy requiring another large delta V change um, to do anything other than rapid fly past the Mercury. To land safely or enter a stable orbit, the spacecraft would rely entirely on rocket motors. Aerobraking is ruled out because Mercury has a negligible atmosphere. A trip to Mercury requires more rocket fuel than required to escape the solar system completely. As a result, only two space probes have visited it so far. As proposed, the alternative approach would be to use a solar sail to attain Mercury's synchronous orbit with the Sun. That would perhaps make sense, or an iron motor. Mariner 10. The first spacecraft to visit Mercury was NASA's Mariner 10 in 74-75. The spacecraft used the gravity of Venus to adjust the orbital velocity so it could approach Mercury, making it both the first spacecraft to use this gravitational slingshot effect and the first NASA mission to visit multiple planets. Mariner 10 provided the first close-up images of Mercury's surface which immediately showed it was heavily created nature and revealed many other types of geological features such as the giant scarves which uh, were later described to the effect, uh, ascribed to the effect of the planet shrinking slightly as the iron core cools. Unfortunately, the same face of the planet uh, was lit at each of Mariner's 10's close approaches. This made close observation of both sides of the planet impossible and resulted in the mapping of less than 45% of the planet's surface. The spacecraft made three close approaches to Mercury, the closest which took it within 327 kilometers of the surface. At the first approach, instruments detected a magnetic field to the great surprise of the planetary geologists. Mercury rotation was expected to be much too slow for it to generate significant domino, dynamo effect. There you go. The second close approach was primarily so you've got to have rotation. The data, um, um, the second approach was primarily used for imaging, but the third approach, extensive magnetic data was obtained. The data revealed that the planet's magnetic field is much like Earth's, which deflects the solar wind around the planet. For many years after Maritain accounts, the origins of Mercury's magnetic field remained the subject of several competing theories. On March 24, 1975, just eight days after the final close approach, run ran out of fuel because the orbit could no longer be accurately controlled. Mission controllers instructed the probe to shut down. Mariner's 10 is uh, thought to still be orbiting the sun, passing close to Mercury every few months. The poor Mariner's 10. Messenger, a second NASA miss uh, uh, mission to Mercury, is named Messenger. Mercury, Surface Space, Environmental uh, Geochemistry and Ranging was launched on the 3rd of August 2004. It made a flyby of Earth in August 2005 and of Venus in October 2006 and in June 2007 to place it on a correct trajectory to reach the orbit of Mercury. The first flyby of Mercury occurred 
in January the 14th, 2008, and a second on October the 8th, 6th, 2008, a third in September 29, uh, 2009. The most of the uh, most of the hemisphere not imaged by Mariner 10 was mapped during these flybys. The probe successfully entered an elliptical orbit around the planet on March 18th, 2011. The first orbital image of Mercury was obtained on March to, uh, 29, um, 2011. Um, the probe finished a one-year mapping mission and then entered a one-year uh, extended mission uh, into tw- 2013. In addition, it contributed continued observations and mapping of Mercury. Messenger. Sounds a really fantastic probe, Messenger. Amazing what you know, a little bit of computer programming can do. Massive supercomputer programs can do. Can, can really eke out the fuel. It's really interesting that it's uh, sort of a chaotic. It gets down to chaotic orbits and, and Monte Carlo things. Hmm. Uh, observed the 2012 solar maximum. The mission was designed to clear up six key issues. Mercury's high density, its geological history, the nature and magnitude, um, the nature of its magnetic field, the structure of its core, whether it had ice poles, and whether its tenuous atmosphere comes from, where it comes from. To send, the probe carried imaging devices that gathered much higher resolution images of much more of Mercury than Mariner 10. Assorted spectrometers to determine abundances of elements in the crust, magnetometers and devices to measure the velocity of charged particles. Measurements of changes to the probe's orbital velocity were expected to be used to infer details of the planet interior. That is, that um, uh, your the gravitational velocity is due to um, your density. So you've got inverse square law. So if you've got a sort of lumpy thing, you can actually uh, pick up gravitational anomalies, uh, anomalies, especially if it's going in an orbit, I would expect. Uh, Messaging's final manoeuvre was on April 24th, 2015, as it crashed into Mercury's surface on April the 30th, 2015. Spacecraft's impact of Mercury occurred near uh, near 3:26 Eastern Eastern Daylight Time, whatever DT, on April 30th, 2015, leaving a crater estimated to be 16 kilometers, 16 meters in diameter. It be. Bepi Klombo, the European Space Agency and the Japanese Space Agency developed and launched a joint mission called Bepi Klombo, uh, which will orbit Mercury. Uh, with two probes, one to map the planet, the other to study the magnetosphere. Launched on October 20, 2018, Bepi Combo is expected to reach Mercury in 2015. You can imagine that has got an absurdly complicated orbit to, to go through. Only Europeans would do it. It will release a magnetometer probe into an elliptical orbit, and then a chemical rockets will fire to deposit a map probe into a circular orbit. Both probes will operate for one terrestrial year. The matter probe carries an array, the map array of spectrometers similar to that of Messenger, and will study the planet at many different wavelengths, including infrared, ultraviolet, X-ray, and gamma ray. Comparison. 
So this is not too far. Comparison to um, so that's oh. let's see. Well, there you go. That's the end of reading that. I don't know what what's happened there. It's the last page. 14, 16, 17, 16. That's the end of the story, folks. So I'll continue reading unless, unless there's something here I've missed. No, this is the last little bit on uh, uh, on going there. So they've got got probes going there, and it's a dense planet, and it's orbiting in such a way that the sun comes to a stop in the when it comes to the closest, the sun stops and really torches the planet on its east and western horizon uh, on the I suppose the the westmost point, the Greenwich Mean Time point, and the um, the Dateline gets a big toasting as the sun uh, gets close in the sky. And I just wonder, um, yeah, I, I just find it hard to um, uh, fully understand. Understand? Um, yeah, I think I think it is. It's it takes two years. Uh, to to get there, I just wonder whether um, yeah, two years per day uh, and what it re requires in terms of heat. It's a bit of a complex story to get your mind around uh, Mercury, and um, it's sort of a rather unusual orbit. It's, it'll take a little while for me to process that. Thanks a lot for listening. another story comes to a close it's been a pleasure sharing this moment in time with you may you discover truly amazing things understand them and tell others thanks for listening